This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. This week, I'm excited to share a sneak peek at an audiobook that's perfect for Bridgerton fans. Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Lord by Celeste Conley, read by Ailey Beaton. In truth, for the past three years, she'd enjoyed something of a respite while her uncle was with His Majesty's army in the wars against Napoleon, and Petra had hoped his time in the service of England would have given his viewpoints a measure of clarity. Yet, since his return, the war's not yet won, but Uncle Tobias having sold out of his commission with the rank of second lieutenant, the only change seemed to be that he'd added the rather horrible word, spinster, to his diatribes, and with no small amount of relish. Start listening to Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Lord by Celeste Conley now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today I'm thrilled to have acclaimed historical novelist Vanessa Riley here to discuss Murder in Drury Lane, which portrays the true diversity of the Regency era and the hidden intrigue of England's abolitionist movement with an engaging heroine who has a talent for sleuthing. Vanessa is an award-winning author of historical romance, mystery, and fiction, featuring realistic multicultural communities and powerful persons of color. Riley, of Southern, Irish, and Trini background, was named the 2023 Georgia Author of the Year Awards Literary Fiction winner for Sister Mother Warrior. She holds a doctorate in mechanical engineering and a master's in industrial engineering and engineering management from Stanford. A frequent speaker at literary women's and STEM events, she lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with her military husband and teenage daughter. She's the author of Queen of Exiles, released this past summer, and Murder in Drury Lane, which just came out. Vanessa, thank you for being here. I've been really hoping to have you on since I heard you speak at the Historical Novels Society Conference last spring. Um, I've just been fascinated um, with your process and your books ever since, and it's such a treat to get to have you on today. Thank you for having me on. And it, wow, has the time flown? I mean, spring. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's, I, I can't believe we're already in fall. It went very fast. <laughs> very, very fast. Um, well, uh, there is so much to dive into with this book. I really enjoyed it and um, the whole world that you brought to life here. So, just to start, could you tell listeners a little bit more about this new novel? Yes, um, we can start a little bit by, with the victim. Anthony Danielson was a cad. Um, he was somebody who had talent. He comes from a, 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 a somewhat of a proper background who didn't look at um, acting or theater as a, as a, as a reputable uh, profession. And so this conflict... And he fell into some bad ways, but then he meets a woman and decides to change his life last Tuesday. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the life you live, sometimes you can't escape it. And he is murdered. And that's how we begin the book. And uh, he's murdered in the theater during uh, a play that is going on. And Abigail uh, Lady Worthing is there. Um, she has just returned from Bath from a disappointing, trying to meet with her husband, very disappointing, and her house has been attacked. So she was going to the theater to not think about all this, and she lands in the middle of another murder. Um, it's, it's exciting. You're, you know, there are a lot of things, a lot of players, as, as you mentioned, uh, that are happening in this story. Uh, Abby is an amateur sleuth. 
She is trying to, you know, figure things out as well as trying to find her place in the world, as well as trying to support the uh, abolition movement. Well, just with the mention of the abolition movement, I'd love if you could kind of just orient us to the time period we're in a little bit and kind of where things stand with that movement and what was happening kind of politically, because I know that's um, sort of a piece of the story. Yeah. So in 1805, um, the Haitian Revolution is successful. Haiti becomes the first free Black nation. And the unfortunate consequence of this is that every abolition movement in the world literally stops in 1806. They're scrambling. They're panicked. It's almost like, yeah, we were good with y'all being free, but now you want to run something? I don't know about all that. <laughs> um, and imagine you are a woman of color um, with title and power um, or access and agency, and you thought the world was going right, and now everything has stopped. So Abby is trying to get this movement. She's supporting it as best she can um, in the underground channels uh, of uh, the, and the, uh, the ballrooms and the parlors of London. Um, but there starts to be some movement. The you know the the Wilberforce has actually been meeting underground with his people. Hannah Moore has been writing pamphlets, and now there's a bill in uh, Parliament that's would be the first ways of trying to rid uh, all of the colonies that are under British control of enslavement. But as we know, in um, as our own politics, it's messy, it's ugly. And if there's any hint of scandal, the peop- of the people championing these bills, uh, support will fall off. Uh, so right in the background of, of the story, you're seeing this, this, this bill come together. There are people, there are champions who step forward, who are ushering the movement and the movement and these people now are synonymous. Um, and it gets extremely complicated when one of those champions might be a murderer. So, so much at stake. And it's just interesting to me because I feel like so often what we have seen in books and movies is um, kind of a Regency era high society that is pretty much all white from what I have seen in a lot of things. And, you know, I had sort of thought that the doors were closed in that era. And so it was so interesting to kind of read this diverse cast of characters. And I'm just wondering about like some of the history there, if you could tell us a little bit about um, just maybe what it was really like in that era. The, the world was a lot more diverse. And unfortunately, particularly in the Victorian era, there's a lot of sanitization of history and covering up of uh, these, these mixed families. So you see members of these families no longer being mentioned or their their color, their origins are kind of erased from these records. Um, the Everyone that, you know, Hare, Georgia Hare popularized the Regency. Jane Austen was a contemporary writer writing about what she saw. And her very last novel, Sanditon, uh, the wealthiest woman in the book, is a mulatto woman from the West Indies. It's... That was a common thing. There were mixed race children and wealthy blacks in the West Indies who knew education was power. Uh, So they would send their kids to school in Scotland, Ireland and London. And like many marriage making 
minded mothers, they wanted their daughters to to marry well. So it was not uncommon for um, these marriages to happen to within second or third uh, uh, um, upper tiers of, of, you know, second sons or third sons who have no fortunes would look for wealthy brides. Uh, they would get them in the merchant class and they would also get them uh, from the West Indies. So it's a lot more common than we have been led to believe. Um, and yeah, there's so lots, there needs to be more scholarship. I, I wish we could do DNA testing to, to figure things out. Uh, <laughs> because yeah, that I would think be it would be very surprising um, how very mixed the European population is. Yeah, well, you know, that brings me to another question because one of the things I was fascinated by um, hearing you speak at the conference was your really in-depth research process for your novels. And so I would love to hear, um, it sounds like there's not, you know, always the scholarship that you um, would hope there would be for, for researching the books, but um, I'd love to hear about what the process was like for this one and um, maybe anything that surprised you or, um, yeah, anything you found particularly interesting. Yes. Um, for this one, you know, as for all of my books, I pretty much have like a world timeline of from 1750 to 1830s. And it's very in-depth. So I'm, I'm digging around and I'm trying to find all the events that are happening for, per location, per world, per country. Because if there is a war happening, if there's a battle happening, there it causes problems. It causes complications, tariffs, uh, a trade between the colonies, trans, you know, coming actually immigrating or migrating from different places, there are always problems. So knowing what's happening in the world is, is very important. Um, I'm set in this 1806 um, year uh, for this the book. So I'm in the um, British archives, and I'm looking at the newspapers. And to me, the newspapers tell you uh, what is happening. Now, everything has, has a lens of what they're trying to say, but the bare bone facts are pretty much there. And so you, this fight that's going on for this, this trade bill is so fascinating because there are times where people who you assume are heroes, you know, they're taking what I would call the wrong side of some, some of these topics, or they are willing to compromise on things that a modern person would be aghast at compromising but they understand what it takes in order to move the world forward. To me, it's most, it's incredibly fascinating. Um, so I am, I'm looking for first sources sometimes, you know, particularly if it was, if I'm doing research on a French colony, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting native tongues and I'm translating in it because I want to find the richest information to be able to bring it to the readers. I want you to feel like you're there. And in the Lady Worthing series, I want you to be walking with Abby, solving the puzzle, you know, crossing off suspects, adding to the list. Um, I think it's it's so important because many people don't see this world. And so anything I can do to add authenticity, uh, depth, uh, to help you understand the complications um, are important because to me, our world seems complicated, but nothing's new under the sun. We still have these same um, uh, politics of the now versus, you know, what actually is the good uh, or the, or the best way to achieve these goods. So it's, it's, to me, it's fascinating. It's, a, it's an underlaying part 
of the story, um, and it adds just an extra tension to the the murder. Well, it's making me wonder too, as you're doing your research, <clears throat> I feel like something that came up a lot amongst kind of the different historical writers at um, that um, historical novel society conference was the idea of a lot of us are really drawn to writing these strong female characters, but how do you also make sure that they feel very true to their time period and um, your characters do. I'm just curious sort of how you get there and, and how you approach that. Um, I try and read, like I said, I try and read a lot of, of books or, or, or um, uh, uh, narratives that were written during the time. So you can get a, a feel of what people are thinking. Jen Austen is, is a good model because you look at her, her, her women, you know, um, fans, you know, Fanny in Mansfield Park is a weaker character, but she's symptomatic of the world she's living in. Uh, you look at uh, Elizabeth Bennett, she's a strong heroine, uh, great mindset, but she was also reared in a very strong home with a, a very strong-minded father who poured into her. Um, you, you can see the, the gambit of how women are. Um, I think many people, um, look at a surface level and they assume because of the mannerisms or because of once again, the popularity of, of Hare, uh, Georgette Hare, um, who had her own version of what she assumed the Regency was and painted this picture. People think that's the picture of women and the only goal women wanted was to get married and to marry well and, and they're put in this box that they couldn't do this or they couldn't. Women will always find a way to get things done. Women are women. That <laughs> core uh, 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 strength is there. It's I think it's something in our DNA. Um, but you have to be conscious of the expectations of society. Expectations change and, and a modern sensibility is not where these women are. So um, when Abigail is trying to investigate she's not going to necessarily be in the room where they're examining the body. No matter how forthright or how strong she might be, that's not going to happen. That's against convention. So she has to be smart about how she goes about doing her research. She has to have a wide network of people who can help her because of the, the, the um, restrictions that a woman were, was under. But a woman, it, the curiosity is, is going to be there, just as we're curious about things now. So it's a tight balance, um, but it's a realism that these women, no matter who it, they are, figures out their power, how to utilize their power and influence. Um, and then they make a world that will support them in achieving their goals. If you think back to how your mom and your dad are, uh, your mom figured out things to get your dad to do stuff. When he didn't want to do it, uh, you know, we always, women always find a way to get things done. And so when we, I think if we give the people in the past, we come from that vantage point and then we work within the rules we know, we understand that they're working in. I think it's, it, it makes our job as a writer a little bit easier. And it also keeps us from uh, introducing modern sensibilities, which may have not necessarily been held by the, the, the period people? Well, you know, it was going to be one of my questions when, you know, you're thinking about your job as a writer. Is that something 
that you had always wanted to do? And, you know, we see your um, very rich professional background. What made you want to start, um, you know, switching over to writing? And what was that journey like? I have always loved writing. I've always loved literature. Uh, my mom made sure we were strong readers when everybody else was outside playing basketball or shooting, you know, uh, you know, uh, boomerangs or, you know, playing what it, whatever soccer game or whatever they needed to do in the neighborhood. Mom always made sure we were reading. Um, so she stressed Shakespeare, Thoreau and Baldwin. Um, my father's a storyteller. Um, he, he's from Trinidad and Tobago from Port of Spain. So he had a way of sweeping you along in his words. And so I think it's a perfect marriage. But I'm also a nerd's nerd, so I'm a math girl. <laughs> I am a, you know, the geek, the science club geek. And so going through school, I was, you know, on the science club, and I was also winning essays for writing. Um, my mother literally sits me down one day, and she's like, you know, baby, I understand you like to write, but you need to be able to pay your bills. Um, and, you know, at that time. Imagining being full-time writing the books of my heart was not a real dream. But becoming an engineer, um, uh, working for NASA, working for General Motors, that's real um, at that time frame. Um, but when you have a gift, I believe th that the universe works for your good and opportunities come along. Um, and as long as you keep working on your gift, it gets stronger and you you it'll find opportunities to showcase itself. So I, my journey is great. Um, being an engineer enhances my writing because not only do you get the, the words, but the, the rigor of investigation to figure something out, the, the depth of, of trying to understand, um, you know, I was, I, you know, I, I pull out maps and I'm measuring time and distance. Um, if I ever mention a, a, a street it's a real street. If I mention a house, it's a real house. It's been modeled on things. And I'm figuring out fabrics and figuring out how things are made because the engineer will not go away. So, <laughs> so interesting to come out with, with that mindset too. Um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. You're a double threat. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I use my powers um, for good, I promise. Yes. Well, I read, I think in an interview, um, you said that you stubbornly invest in your talents, which I'd love to hear about, um, you know, what that means for you. Is it like different classes? Is it um, research trips? What, how do you kind of um, keep investing in your craft? All of the above. Um, I am a firm believer that I don't care how many books you write, you need to keep taking uh, a craft class, something to... Uh, sharpen your skills or make you think about something very differently. Um, I'm a I'm a big Margie Lawson fan. Um, I love her techniques of of not of you know one of the things was if you do something naturally. I, I, I think I'm what what one might say a natural writer. So it was there was always voice, but being able to control it so that you can really amplify a moment and make the reader read faster, stop, you know, uh, you know, take a pause, understanding how to use it and when to use certain um, literary techniques. To me, that's, that's very important. And you need to keep going, to, you know, learning about pacing, learning about, um, you know, uh, 
language is the same, but how we use it and how it resonates changes as time goes on. So just being fresh. So I also believe in reading a lot. Um, buy, you know, my husband looks at my book, Buying Bills, and it's, it's ugly. Um, <laughs> at any time, any time I can actually go to where I've placed my characters, I want to go. There is nothing like being in country. Um, there's nothing like looking at a sunset from the house that you've imagined your your character for the theater, watching the way um, the shadows change. Uh, to me, is so exciting. Um, with Queen of Exiles, which came out earlier this year, I literally walked in um, Queen Louise's footsteps to imagine what a woman coming from a world where she and her husband had only built, where they were the only ones who'd built the structures at last, to go to a place where things were hundreds of years old. Uh, to me, it's, it's, it changes your mindset. You notice things that you, you might not necessarily notice, and you're able to take your reader. To, I, I want my reader to feel like they are in the room. Do you have a certain stage when you do the, those research trips? Is it before you start writing? Is it when you've had a full draft and you know what you're really looking for? I, I, all of the above. Um, mm, sometimes, okay. you know, trips and life are, are, they're not necessarily in sync. So <laughs> when you can go, you go. Um, for a year, it was a year before I, I, I had done the research. So I kind of, you want to know, you want to do some level of research so that you are targeted because you don't have an infinite amount of time. So with Queen of Exiles, I was very targeted. I knew I wanted to see the church she built. I knew I wanted to see the the Doma, you know, their, their, the, the vineyards, things that I knew that she'd visited. Uh, with Abby, I, the, the street um, uh, that I've set this, this, the story on, I went and saw the house that I picked as her house. I saw Henderson's house. So it's like, <laughs> Uh, you know, walk the park at the back so you could see how well things have changed from um, from when the t from 1806. But you could see the park and how they can enjoy the 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 park behind St James Park behind the townhouses. You know, going to Drury Lane and actually uh, oh, and it, it, for your listeners, if you ever get a chance, take the secret tour of Drury Lane. You will actually Ooh. see the tunnels that used to exist. They're kind of capped off now. They just kept the, the impression of where they were. But the actual tunnels that used to um, lead all the way to the Thames, because sailors would actually come through the tunnels and help with the rigging for the curtains. Uh, it, it just gives you that extra push in your imagination so that your fiction really feels real to what's happening and what's those little glimmers, those little bits of insight, it's, it's amazing. So I, I believe in traveling, if at all possible, to the places where you're setting your story. Yeah, those little nuggets, I'm sure, are, are really helpful. Um, well, you mentioned a little bit your, um, your big reading <laughs> piles and, and book bills, and um, it got me wondering, are there any favorites you've read lately that you'd want to recommend to listeners? Um. Beatrice Williams' Summerly Beach is amazing. Um, Dinius Bryce, um, uh, The Other Princess, is awesome. If you're into cozies, Valerie Burns uh, just has a new release. Uh, the name, it, it, I can't 
it has dogs on the cover. That's all I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll link to it. I'll find it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, this is a good reading time. So many books are coming out. Um, fall is, is mystery season. So, you know, I, I've, I've got a couple more on my radar, but it's also writing season because, you know, might be actually, you know, writing the next book in this series too. So murder in Berkeley oh. square. Oh, nice. Well, I was going to ask about that the next in this series. And then um, if you have any others in the works too, and I will, I'll make it even a third question. I'm curious as you're kind of deciding on your next, um, your next project, when you really feel like, you know, that's it. Like, do you get this sort of like aha moment of like, Oh, that's the character. That's the premise. Or does it really take more of like a slog to figure it out? Um, the premise usually comes first. Um, and then the world building. Uh, so, um, you know, like I'm working in the world, uh, Abigail's world. So we have Murder in Berkeley Square, which will be coming out next year, which is my homage to Agatha Christie's and then there were none. So think trapped in a townhouse on Berkeley Square, completely snowed in with murderers. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that sounds good. So, um, you know, uh, also next year, I will be returning to historical romance. And so we have uh, Never Bet Against the Duke series coming out with the first A Gamble at Sunset. So that premise of um, a, a biracial Russian English Duke, um, you know, as well as the coal millionaire's daughters uh, theme for that series, which will be very interesting. And, um, for my next historical fiction, which will be coming out in 25, I uh, think Pirates. Ooh. <laughs> well, this is kind of making me wonder, too, as you're sort of saying the next upcoming books and the different genres. Do you dip back and forth between genres as you're writing, or do you kind of do one project completely at a time and then move on to the Um, I get through a draft, uh, the draft fully. I like to finish a draft before I take up something else. But, you know, sometimes life, you know, you may be doing copy edits or revisions while you're in the middle of writing another manuscript. Um, so, you know, that's why I make sure I, I have my timelines so I'll know what book I'm writing and who's supposed to be in it. I have my character lists. <laughs> because you will, I will tell you right now, you will forget what color somebody's eyes are when you switch to a different book. Um, so sense. I make sure I have lists that are very explicit so that, that you know, as well as uh, room settings and room furnishings, I have lists for those because you will forget oh, and you'll mix them up yeah. and it'll be, it'll be horrible. Um, but <laughs> once you have a draft, it's, it's, I, I sort of write in three layers. So the first is that working draft just to get from point A to point B and, and really working on the, achieving the goals of whatever the character is. The second and thirds are, you know, refining the motivations and then putting in the color and putting in the furnishings and putting in all the things that make it feel the period and the time and the people. Um, you usually don't get, before another project has something you have to do with another project, you usually don't get um, that far. You usually, usually get the first one, you get 1. 1.5 drafts before you have to move on to something else. So. Um, 
you want to try and be as cohesive as possible and at least get through a full draft. But knowing my process, my full draft is it takes three three drafts to get to the end. Does, if that, does that make sense? It does. Well, it does make sense, and I'm just impressed at I'm impressed at the output and your pace, and that all of these are in the works and coming, which is very good for us readers because we you know want them to keep coming, but probably. Very, um, I don't know, does that get overwhelming at times to have that much in the works? I actually go to the nuts when I don't have something to do. I like mm. always writing and developing and, and, and refining a world. To me, that's my happy place. So I feel lost without it. So that's probably why y'all are getting a lot of books. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, ha- we're happy to get them. Um, well, I, yeah, I really hope that listeners will pick up Murder in Drury Lane, and um, we will definitely look out for all of the upcoming books. It's exciting to have um, somebody to add to our TBR list. And um, Vanessa, just thank you so much for taking the time to come on. I really enjoyed getting to hear from you, and I'm sure that listeners um, are going to be as fascinated by your process and your characters and writing um, as I've been. Well, thank you, and thank you for reading Murder in Drury Lane. I think readers are going to love it. It's it's exciting. It's well-paced. A lot of emotional arcs in this book um, and a great whodunit. So it's going to be fun. And thank you for having me on. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.